You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in 5, 4, 3, 2, Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This show is made possible because of a grant from Teva Pharmaceuticals and the Griffin Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and I've got Katrina Hamill on today with me, and we're going to be talking about home health and different types of home health and um, how we can go about getting home health uh, for our loved ones with HD. Katrina, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm a little under the weather, so excuse the harsh voice, but I'm ready to go. Let's talk about it. Absolutely. I hope you feel better. I know we're sick in my household, too. So um, (laughs) definitely thank you for joining me when you're not feeling well. For sure. So, Katrina, you actually have a background with, um, well, with end-of-life issues and and everything. Can you kind of tell people what your background is in this? Sure. So, um, as a young adult, I um, did some, you know, family caregiving and things like that um, and eventually went to school um, for caregiving, and I actually – kind of switched paths and started doing um, it's called medical assisting where you can kind of draw blood and give injections and things of that sort. But when I was um, all, all done with school, um, I had to do like a internship of sorts and I started working with people with dementia. And so my path changed again and eventually I ended up doing hospice care and just kind of fell in love with um, how important the end of life is and um, just the different support services that you can offer somebody during that time. Um, And in particular, I was working with people who had um, no money, no income, no family. A lot of people were straight um, off the streets, and um, and it was a really big deal to me to be able to make sure that they know that they mattered and that their lives mattered and to kind of gracefully help them through the end of their life. So that kind of is where I – was before I started working with Help for HD, um, but in that process, I've learned quite a bit about um, different angles of healthcare. So, yeah. Well, and you've been extremely helpful to me. Um, you're a caregiver yourself, so you you know yeah. you've been a wealth of of information for me as I deal with my dad and deal you know and navigate all of this stuff with him. That's very sweet. Yeah, and and. Um, all of that kind of history that I said a moment ago was unrelated to really HD at all. But then when you bring HD into the mix, I did take care of my mom in our home um, for, gosh, I think it was about three years, um, and then helped navigate the the system of placement and then um, also kind of walked side by side with, with Katie, our president and CEO of Help for HD, with, with her husband and helping to place Mike. Um, and then currently am taking care of Kevin's brother with Huntington's and he's still, um, living in his home. So, yeah, 
some different different angles there for sure. Yes, and your plate is definitely full as a caregiver and everything that you do. And so, you know, it's greatly appreciated that you are able to take the time that you do to support the Huntington's community, um, you know, being directly affected and taking your taking care of your brother yourself. So um, well, I really you. wanted to point that out. So let's delve into what home health care is. Sure. So um, there's sometimes there's a little bit of confusion um, between home health care and home care. Um, so home health care is it actually has like um, nurses and licensed professionals, um, occupational therapy physical therapy, things of that nature. Um, and then home home care or in-home care, um, with it, it's literally just missing one word, which is the word health. Um, so they kind of get um, a little bit of gray areas, so to speak. Um, but the home care is more of like individuals that are, are caregivers and are quote-unquote like non-skilled, which literally just means that they probably have an immense amount of experience, but they don't have the license that would be required to have home health care. So home health care is, um, to get back to your question, is um, it's a usually an agency that um, is complete of different um, licensed individuals, a nurse, um, an occupational therapist, a speech therapist, a physical therapist, um, and then even home health aides, which are, typically um, CNAs, and they also have, like, certifications in, um, like, giving someone a, a bath, a shower, um, a little bit more detailed in that area. So they can come in and help, to level, help a loved one with um, bathing or getting dressed and things of that nature. Um, they also have... Um, Things like Reiki and massage therapists that are often but not always offered, but it's something to, to know that it can be available if you if you look at different agencies. Good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, so home health care is different than palliative care in hospice, right? Correct, correct. And sometimes, like, um, an agency will offer – like a home health care agency will be strictly home health care and they will do all of the nursing visits. If you have wound management needs, if you have an IV need, if you have um, a peg tube or, you know, different things like that, a, they can come in, the nurse can handle what needs to be handled and that can happen for years. Um, but when somebody's condition changes or progresses into palliative needs, excuse me, palliative needs or hospice needs, um, then they might either have to refer you to the um, agency in their area that um, helps families with palliative care and hospice, or they may be able to transition you through. Um, some, some places offer the transitional care, but then you may need to switch over your team. And that's actually important and necessary for from most people because the needs change and the needs develop into something quite different than your typical 
skilled nursing needs. Um, for example, if somebody just needed someone to come in and um, bathe them and change their um, their catheter every couple of days and things of that nature, and then that was kind of the basis of, of the meetings, that would be one thing for, for several years. But then if it became more of a pain management issue or dystonia issue and it was kind of out of their their scope of um, practice, then they would refer them to the next team who has a little bit more detailed um, experience with pain alleviation and things of that nature. So, um, and, and and there some people don't realize that there is such a difference between the palliative and hospice. Palliative care um, is is about, of course, making somebody comfortable. Um, but the good thing about being on palliative care is there's access to more um, medications. When when somebody is on placed on palliative care, um, there isn't so much of an alarming reaction coming from the pharmacy when medications are higher dosed or um, multiple combinations of medications. Um, but also you get other services as far as the support is concerned. And then moving into hospice care, you know, they say when somebody goes on to hospice, typically, and of course there's always, you know, room for variation, but typically somebody going on to hospice has six months or less to live. But in a lot of cases, um, what happens at the six-month mark is then they just have to be reevaluated. And if there was any sort of a decline, then they would continue services. Um, and so sometimes people get very worried about, um, quote, unquote, activating hospice because they feel as though this is, this is the end. It's happening now. And, in fact, it's just the supportive services to offer to people and families um, to make sure that if it is the time that you are supported, when it is the time you are supported. Um, so that may have been kind of jumbled up there, but basically palliative care is measures um, and they are all separate from home health care, though they can be intermingled. Um, home health care can be for somebody's entire life, somebody who's born with a disability that um, enables them or, or makes it necessary for them to have the health care in home. Um, that could la last a lifetime. Um, <clears throat> and then, obviously, um, some of those services would change and shift as it as it became as the person became sicker and sicker. So anyway, home health care is broad. It's very broad, um, and for us in the HD community, it's helpful for somebody who um, has higher needs than what a caregiver can provide. Um, but the problem with um, receiving these services is, of course, you know, needing to pay for them and needing to qualify for the services in order to pay for them. And so it can, can get pretty tricky. Well, and that's a, <clears throat> the thing to ask um, next is how would somebody go about paying for them? Because as you mentioned, you'd have to qualify for them. Um, and so when you're looking at somebody paying, who do we look to for that? So, I mean, I think in general, um, you know, we want to look at, you know, Medicare, Medicaid programs like that. 
to see if you are eligible. And if you are already on those programs, like, for example, my brother is, and um, he was needing some some services at home, and um, I didn't want to have to take him out four or five times a week to, to start up doing things like um, um, occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy. I thought it would be more convenient and um, not just for us, but for Kevin to feel comfortable in his own home to learn how to do these things with his own surroundings. So um, we wanted to bring home health care in. And um, we had to start with his neurologist. And um, his neurologist is very open to writing scripts for things um, that are necessary for Kevin. So if I backtrack a little bit, it is necessary to have a doctor written prescription um, to qualify for home health services. Um, you can't just necessarily call them up. Although I, I can't even say that's true because I'm not 100% sure. I've never tried that. But um, from what my understanding is, is you do need a doctor's order because what happens is yep. they end up working under that doctor. So for example, right. If the nurse is in the home and they see a drug interaction or they see uh, an injury, they have to report it to a doctor. So then they would contact my brother's doctor, and then they can kind of make up a decision. So you have to have that prescription, from my understanding. Um, yes. And, yeah, you do you know that too, Lauren? Yeah. Because as I'm yes. saying that, yeah. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I believe that's true. But I always hate saying this is a fact, and then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm a little wrong uh, there. So you have to you have to have um, a doctor's like they have to write an order for it in order for Medicare or Medicaid to cover. Um, otherwise, they won't cover it. Right. So some complications that have come into play have been um, a little bit of a fight back from you know Medicare or or Medicaid, where they're like, well, does he really need this service? Um, or does he really need, even when it comes down to does he really need this wheelchair? Um, they're covering yep. less and less. Um, so it's very difficult to kind of navigate this system. place that will pay for the most amount is the Medicare Medicaid, right? There are some state-run programs, um, for example, in California. And I think they have something similar in Florida, but I'm not sure. Um, and I'm sure all over, the, all over the U.S. they have different programs per state and even per county. But ours is called in-home support services, and it's um, it's basically you have to have like um, a few hours of training, just so that um, they know that you're capable of certain things and willing to do certain things and reporting issues and things like that. Um, and then you kind of you're your own employee of the person you're taking care of. So right now, I am my brother's employee. Um, he gets IHSS hours and he can choose to just use me or use multiple people throughout the community that are um, certified as an IHSS worker. And it's all paid for by the state because he is of low income. Um, so there are programs out there available and even that, you know, family members can help. So like if I, of course, could pay somebody in the community to take care of my brother, um, but that would not be preferable um, for him. So if he would prefer to have me and I just go get certified, then they would pay me to take care of him. And in turn, I use that money for him, which is actually really convenient. You know, things like 
the purchases we need to make for him or yeah, food or whatever. We, we just kind of turn it around like that. Um, so definitely programs. And it really, Google is, is a great source. You know, if you just Google um, like in-home support services, California, you would come up with that link. Um, or again, you could Google different things in your area. But one place that I believe is um, across the nation is the Area Agency on Aging, which of course, it says that in its name, aging, um, and you would typically think that it's just for the elderly um, population, but they are very helpful with getting um, referrals or getting you kind of pointed in the right direction. And, um, of course, if you are lucky enough to have a great social worker, your social worker knows your area, knows the state um, programs that are available to you, and honestly probably knows if um, you would qualify without you having to go through all the, the hoops and blowing the whistles and, you know, trying to do all of this different work that, and just to find out that you didn't qualify. Um, my point is, is just definitely connect with those who can support you because this is, can be a very long road. Um, you, you need those supportive services if they're available to you. Um, I'm always, I'm always willing to help families. Um, I'm not, terrific at it because I'm not a social worker, um, but I am always willing to to try and search different programs in different areas. Sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not, um, but I can definitely put people in touch with um, other people in the community to try and help. Um, but the payment has been the most difficult part, trying to get um, those services that are needed into your home can be hard, but Medicare, Medicaid, um, have been pretty good to us. They haven't given us any fight back as far as what Kevin needs. Um, and so he has had the physical therapy, the occupational therapy, physical therapy. He had um, speech um, speech come in and talk about a couple of different things. Um, and be prepared to teach these groups a little bit about Huntington's disease. We do have, um, you know, videos and brochures and stuff on our website at helpforhd.org where you can um, use these tools to help teach um, the team members about Huntington's. And most people have been pretty open to that, to, to learning about his specific disease. Um, and then they also, through these um, home health care agencies, often have a um, medical social worker that can also help if you don't have one um, around your area that you are already working with, these home health care agencies do have social workers available to help. <laughs> so I want to point out one thing too, and I, I love that California is so um, proactive. Um, I wish North Carolina was. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> As far as um, getting those services, yes, it can be very difficult. And one of the things to remember if you're looking for in-home care or home health services, um, it can, if you're using Medicaid, there are wait times depending on where you're located. So um, there could be a wait list and it could be months. And so that's something to consider. Um, it's something that you might want to get your loved one on that list as soon as possible. Um, so you get the order from your neurologist and, um, and then contact 
uh, Medicare and Medicaid and find out what you need to do to get on that list, um, specifically Medicaid, to get on that list for services um, because Gosh, here in North Carolina, it's, I mean, months, months of waiting. Um, oh, my and, goodness. And so th- does that mean that um, to get, like, if you want to apply for Medicare or Medicaid or if you need services from Medicare, Medicaid? If you need services from Medicare, Medicaid. So Medicare okay, so usually your dad already is has them in place, but in, but in order to get services from them, it takes months. Is that what you mean? I'm just yes. trying to understand mm-hmm. that because I didn't realize that. My goodness, that must be really oh, frustrating yes. when you already have the payment availability and unable to receive the services. That's kind of frustrating. So frustrating. Yeah. So, so and, and that's the thing is it it depends on um, it depends on the county as well. So the county that Dad was in had a really long wait time as to where the county he's in now, uh, which is the county I'm in they are able to um, provide services faster. So that's something to consider as well. It depends on the county. Yes. Yeah, that's that's definitely smart. And and I was going to mention that as well is just it's never too soon to look into these programs. Um, right now you can think everything's going really smooth, there's no needs, but it will come up and get you real quick. And you just kind of have to think about, um, what's available out there in your state and what's available in your county, what is available in your city. Um, because you may not use these services today, but you may need them in a couple of months. And as Lauren's um, stating, gosh, you know, just to know what's available and to even begin that discussion with a social worker or your team, your care team, just to start talking about it, like when this has to happen, where do I begin? Um, so you can have all your ducks in a row and, start the process as soon as you're able. That's really smart. So definitely start that conversation. As, you know, if those are things that you're looking at to do, home health and in-home care, go ahead and have conversations with Medicaid if you're applying for that um, to make sure that you know all of your options and if they have a wait list because wait lists can be, you know, anywhere from two months to six months. And so um, those are things to to consider um, and, and to know ahead of time because if you're having, you know, if you need it right away and you can't get it right away, it's very frustrating. Sure. Yeah. I can't imagine. Gosh, that would be really hard. Well, yeah. So definitely the sooner the better to get even conversations flowing and learning what you have in your area is, is probably the best best advice out there. Yes. Um and Medicare is usually, because Medicare works differently, you know, and it's it's a federal program, not a state program. Right. Um, so usually when you get an order from the doctor, they can automatically do the Medicare, um, and those services can start right away. But if you're needing something through Medicaid, because Medicare is limited on what type of services they can provide, and right. um and so they're going to focus more on that skilled, so the home health side of it, the PTOT, uh, the speech therapy um, for, for in-home um, skilled care. And Medicaid, they have a, an aspect of that too, but they also have the in-home care program, um, which we were talking about. And 
again, that's where you see these wait lists. I mean, technically with Medicaid in North Carolina, it's wait lists for both. But, um, mm. but Gosh. Medicare, Medicare will not do in-home care. They just do the skilled care. So um, right. those are things to consider too. Right. Yeah. And I do know that they're trying to work on that, who they are. I don't know. But I do know that like, <laughs> I, I read something a while back about, um, trying to get caregiver services kind of implemented through the, um, you know, the the federal system or what have you, kind of linked up with the home health care, which would be really, really beneficial to our community, but everywhere. You know, it's just something that's needed when you don't necessarily need care, but you need um, assistance, you know? Right. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> so definitely look into you know, what's available in your state because each state's going to be different and each county is going to be different when it comes to Medicaid. Medicare is going to be pretty similar across the board, but Medicaid, you're going to find different things in different counties. So like in Stokes County where dad was, they didn't have the personal care services like they have in Forsyth County. And so um, we have more options available to us in Forsyth County than we did in Stokes County. Um, Again, wait list. Um, and right. one of the other things that I have to say is because of the pandemic, things are really crazy mm. right now. And um, so you've got to really, really stay on the case managers um, right now because they are inundated with people trying to get in-home care services. Um, and so they're, I mean, their plates are full. And so if you don't sure. call regularly, they're not, they're going to, not get back to you just because they're having a hard time with, with everything with pandemic because more people are, are doing in home. So, um, yeah, so definitely remember that stay on top of case managers and social workers and stuff. And it's, I know that it's going to feel like you're bothering them, but sometimes you have to just to get stuff done. I mean, that's been my experience with dad. Like we have to stay on them in order to get any type of, help um dad is palliative but he's not hospice because of being on dialysis um right and um he had like we for a while there he said that he wanted to go off dialysis but then when we finally explained to him you know what that meant he's not ready for that so um yeah you know those are things to consider as well what other conditions are going on as far as um these are all things that you have to take into account when you're looking at getting in home and, and that skilled care, make sure they write down everything. It doesn't even have to be, it doesn't have to be Huntington's related. You're going to want to write down any type of medical condition to try to get whatever services you can get. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. Um, Well, Katrina, I think those were the biggest questions I had for you. Um, I mean, the big thing is we, you know, you talk to your doctor to get that order to um, get those skilled, that home health skilled um, service as well as in home. Um, And do you know, so, you know, you said there were other programs available. Do you know if any type of uh, private insurances cover things like, like home health? They do. They do. Um, Typically, um, you're just going to have to honestly call your policy. There's so many out there. And also, some people don't realize that it's even written into their policy already. 
Um, now, we all know how hard it is to have, you know, like a long-term care or, you know, things like that, but that's separate from having services come into your home. So just kind of the best thing to do is not even go over your policy, but to call your policy and say, do you offer this? And if you do, how many hours and what's the cost to me? And they can break it all down for you. Um, that's that's my best advice because if I go into any details, it'll be so um, – it won't be broad enough to cover everyone. Um, but some people don't even realize that they do have home health care um, kind of written into their their insurances and their plans. So definitely look into that. And definitely, you know, take notes, write notes, and keep track of everything. That way, when you're so busy and going through this pandemic and needing to make a million phone calls, you can refer back to saying like, okay, yeah, I called the social worker a week and a half ago this day. We discussed plan. So you can kind of refer to your notes. Um, I know that's helped me a lot with my brother is just kind of keeping track of everything um, because I do get forgetful when there's so much going on with his, his care needs. Oh yes. Same here. <laughs> I have to actually yeah, set reminders like, oh. on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good, good idea too. Reminders on the phone. That'll work. <laughs> well, Katrina, thank you so much for coming on and talking about home health with me. And um, thank you again for all that you're doing. And um, Absolutely, I, I um, just can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you and Katie and um, all that you guys do. Oh, you're so sweet, and we appreciate you, and we're here. You know, give us a call 24-7. We're around. Thanks so much. We're going to end the show there. hope everybody has a wonderful day. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.